Okay, open your Bibles. Well, they're open, but turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, I hope that you'll bear with me. I'm going to read six very short passages. I promise they're short, one, one or two verses or so, um, and speak on those. And I think that... Uh, it, it will be obvious what the theme is as we, we look at these short portions of Scripture. So First Peter chapter 1, I'd like to read at verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Turn to Revelation chapter 1, please. Revelation chapter 1, beginning at at verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Turn back, please, to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now, verse 25 there, the first part, might also be rendered, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I think that that rendering, I think... Um, makes it a little bit clearer what's being said there in that verse. Now just turn a few pages over to Romans 5. Romans 5 and verse 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. 
Lastly, we're going to go all the way back to the early portion of the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, this is the uh, the account of the Passover. I'd like to just read several verses in this chapter, beginning at verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Verse 12 says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and execute all the gods and execute all the gods I'm sorry, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. No matter how much we may wish to shield ourselves from it, the fact is the Bible is a bloody book. A bloody book. The word blood is used 440 times in the Bible, and that that doesn't count the use of blood in other uh, words, such as blood guilty, blood thirsty, bloody. Just the word blood itself is used 440 times throughout the Bible. Now, long before medical science affirmed this, uh, the Bible, the Word of God, told us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And we take that for granted. But that, that discovery, from a medical point of view, is very recent in history. Uh, that, that was something that really wasn't known. But uh, we know from Scripture that, that it is something that was known long before um, human beings discerned that on their own. And... So really then, from that verse in, in Leviticus chapter 17, which, which I just um, uh, read there, the life of the flesh is in the blood, blood really can be considered a shorthand for life. And so when the, the shedding of blood is spoken of, it's, it's death that is, is being expressed. The shed blood is an effect, well, to shed blood really is an effect to shed life. Now, I'm not going to speak today about blood in, in a general uh, sense, but I want us to focus on the blood of one in particular, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, keep in mind that when the Bible speaks of the blood of Christ, it is speaking not simply of the, the fluid per se, but it's speaking of that blood in the context of it being shed, uh, speaking of Christ's atoning death on the cross of Calvary. And when used in that manner, it's speaking of the, really the totality of, of his atoning work as the perfect sacrifice for sin. 
Um, to give you an example of what I mean by this, listen to these words from Ephesians 2.13. It says there, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now the phrase, the blood of Christ, in this verse, when looking at it in the, the context of Ephesians 2, is not simply referring to physical substance of blood, but to the complete work of Christ on the cross. And so what I'd like to do in my, my time tonight is to, uh, from these verses that I've read, is to look at different aspects of the blood of Christ, really focusing particularly on different effects or results of that shed blood. And so I'd like us to consider precious blood. I'd like us next to look at cleansing blood. Next we'll think about propitiating blood. Then justifying blood. Peacemaking blood. And finally we'll consider sheltering blood. In the first passage that we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter uses really what's a peculiar adjective to describe blood, and that that is precious. And if you're a Christian, you don't find that peculiar, um, because we understand um, a bit what precious blood means. But if you were to go out and randomly sample 100 people and ask for an adjective to describe blood, how likely would it be that someone would offer the adjective Precious. We, we speak of certain stones as precious, precious stones. We speak of certain metals as precious metals. The Bible itself uses precious to refer to stones and to, to, uh, to metals. For example, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.12, it says there, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, Stubble, And Peter himself, just a few verses earlier here in, in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, speaks of the preciousness of gold in saying that the trial of one's faith is even more precious than that metal. When Jesus was in, in Bethany at the house of Simon, the woman who anointed his head did so with ointment that's described by Matthew in his gospel chapter 26, verse 7, as very precious ointment. Now, one question is, what is it that makes something precious? I don't know if you've ever thought of this. What, what is it about something that makes it precious? Well, there's one thing um, that, that makes an item precious, and that is its scarcity. Its scarcity. Um, aluminum and iron would not be considered precious metals um, for they are common and ordinary they're found in great abundance but a diamond um, which is very uncommon something very uncommon something rare something hard to come by is considered precious and even among diamonds um, some are more precious than others the fact is the closer to flawless a diamond is, the more valuable and the more precious it is. Remember Leviticus 17.11 again, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. The value of the life is really 
the measure of the value of the blood. So as a life is more valuable, the blood of that life is more valuable. You see, the blood of Christ is made precious by the man whose blood it is. And the man, Christ Jesus, was perfect. He was utterly sinless. The Bible says of him that he is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. When God ordained that he would send one to atone for our sins, he determined that he would send one who was flawless, without blemish. Jesus never sinned. Never, ever, ever. And if you think about that, is there anything that's more rare than that? A human being who has never sinned. And so when Peter speaks of the precious blood of Christ, he's speaking about a blood that has a transcendent value and and a worth that is beyond measure because the one whose blood it is is like no other in human history and that he was sinless. The blood of Christ is of inconceivable value. It's so precious because of the inconceivable value of the one who shed it. Next, let's consider the cleansing blood. The cleansing blood. That when we wash physically, we obviously do so to remove physical impurities. And uh, the soap industry has put a lot of money into research and development to find products that that cleanse dirt. Um, If you have grease on your hands and you run them under water, it's not going to do you much good. But a good quality soap will cut through that and remove it. When John in Revelation 1.5 speaks of being washed, however, he says, referring to Jesus, that he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now the question is, how does the shed blood of Christ in his, in his death wash us from our sins? And the Bible gives us a very specific answer. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, verse 6 says that the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Peter, a little bit later in 1 Peter chapter 2.24, says um, in a way that's reminiscent to that verse from Isaiah, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And so it is by his bearing sins on the cross that the Lord Jesus takes them away. And if your sins are taken away, that is, are no longer counted against you, then you are cleansed of those sins. God has chosen this single way to cleanse sinners, and that is through the shed blood of Christ. There's a hymn that we sing that uh, expresses the opinion of of someone, or expresses the way that, that someone interprets this. What can wash away my stain? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So precious is the flow that cleanses white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Next, let's look at propitiating blood. Propitiating blood. In Romans 3.25, we read of the Lord Jesus as a propitiation through faith in his blood. Or the other rendering that I mentioned there was as a propitiation by 
his blood. Now, propitiation is one of those biblical words. It's a word that we don't hear much outside of the Bible. Uh, The word carries with it the idea of appeasement or satisfaction. And in the New Testament, it's used to convey the fact that Christ's substitutionary death on the cross satisfied the offended holiness and wrath of God against sinners. The Hebrew equivalent of the word was used to describe the mercy seat, the cover um, of of the Ark of Covenant, where the high priest sprinkled the blood of the slaughtered animal on the Day of Atonement. And that, that ark on which blood was, was sprinkled was a shadow, a picture of the one who would be the ultimate propitiation, the one who would remove God's wrath. On the cross, as the Father poured out his wrath on Christ, who shed his blood in the place of sinners, God was propitiated. Now Melvin read a verse from Isaiah 53, which I I find to be one of the most amazing verses in all of the Bible. That's Isaiah 53.10, where it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The Lord being Jehovah, the Father, bruising him, the Lord Jesus. Remember what the Father communicated from heaven in Matthew 3.17? He said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. How could it be then that God could bruise His Son, His beloved Son, the Son in whom He was so well pleased? Some find this very offensive. They see it as sort of a a sadistic God, one who derives... Sort of a glee from from a sadistic act, but the pleasure that God derived from from bruising His Son is the pleasure of God in determining that He would bring about salvation of sinners through the shedding of the precious blood of His Son, His appointed Redeemer, one who would have to bear the punishment or pay the penalty owed to sinners for God to be satisfied. Isaiah 53 also says in verse 11, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Because Christ's blood was shed in the place of sinners, God's wrath can be removed. That is, God can be propitiated. Next, we should look at justifying blood. Romans 5.9 speaks of being Justified by Christ's blood. Justification refers to an act of God in which he declares sinners righteous. And the big question, really the biggest question, the most important question of all, I think, is is a question asked by, by Job so long ago, and that is how should man be just with God? You and I have offended God by our sinfulness, and God is perfectly just to to punish sinners. And yet God chooses, in His mercy, by His grace, to declare sinners righteous. And He can do so while remaining just Himself. And the way that God has provided to do this, the only way, is through the blood of Christ. When I... um, quoted from 2 Corinthians 5 
um, 21 earlier. Uh, the second part of that verse tells us that that sinners who are, who are trusted in Christ are made the righteousness of God in Him. On the cross, the Lord Jesus is counted guilty by the Father even though He never sinned. And sinners who are in Christ are counted righteous even though they are not. And that's because the very righteousness of Christ is credited to them. And it's that righteousness, not our own, not a righteousness that Melvin was talking about that we so commonly believe that we possess, but it's the righteousness of God himself that God credits to those who trust in his Son. And it's that righteousness alone that allows entrance into heaven. Next, let's consider peacemaking blood or reconciling blood. Colossians 1.20 speaks of peace being made by Christ through the blood of his cross. To make peace through the blood of the cross means that through the blood of the Lord Jesus, God's enemies become his friends. If you're not saved here tonight, then you are an enemy of God. You may not feel any outward hostility to God. You just may not care about God. But the Bible leaves no room for neutrality. If you're not saved, you're an enemy of God. But the good news is that the shed blood of Christ can make peace between you and God. The following verse in Colossians chapter 1, following the verse that I read, says... And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Sin is the great obstacle that keeps us enemies of God, that prevents us from having peace with God. And it is Christ's blood in cleansing us from sin, in satisfying the just demands of God, and in justifying us that gives us true peace with God. Finally, we'll consider the sheltering blood. The sheltering blood. When we consider the account of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, uh, we mustn't think that the Israelites did not deserve to be judged by God, whereas the Egyptians did. I don't know if you find that, but when I, when I read that account, I, I guess I tend to think, well, Egyptians bad, they deserve punishment. Israelites, good, chosen people, you know, in the right with God. But although it doesn't address this in Exodus, the prophet Ezekiel um, actually points out that, that the Israelites were immersed in idolatry in Egypt um, during this time. And therefore they too were, were guilty and no less deserving of God's judgment. Um, if you, if you go, you don't have to turn here, but uh, if you want to read that on your own, it's Ezekiel 20, uh, verses 4 to 10. I'll just read uh, verse 8. Now, in that verse, the, the prophet here is writing about the time, right here in, in Exodus 12, during which the Israelites were under bondage in Egypt. And Ezekiel 28 says, referring now to the Israelites, but they rebelled against me, and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abominations of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. 
Then I said, I will pour out my fury against them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. You see, the distinction between Israel and Egypt was not a distinction of race or nation or morality or class or privilege, but purely a distinction of blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. The blood points to Christ, the Lamb of God, to the one who Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 5.7 as Christ, our Passover Lamb. My friend, whatever you might be planning for your life in the future, this much is certain. You need to plan for a day of judgment if you're not saved. The Bible assures us that God hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. There's a time coming, the Bible says, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And the distinction between those who experience that judgment and those who do not is today, just as it was at that first Passover, a distinction of blood. And so it is tonight as you sit here in this gospel meeting, are you sheltered from God's judgment by the shed blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember that in the Passover, when those lambs were slaughtered, that blood did nothing if just left as it was. It had to be applied. It had to be applied. And there it was applied to the two side posts and the upper door post of the house in which one resided. And today it's no different. The shed blood of Christ will do you no good unless it has been applied. The blood of the true Passover lamb, the Lamb of God, was shed 2,000 years ago. But today, if you were to find shelter in it, it must be personal. It must be personally applied by you. And so I would ask you, has the blood of the Lord Jesus been applied to you? Have you taken your place among the lost, among the guilty, and trusted, simply trusted in what the Lord Jesus has accomplished by shedding his blood on the cross in the place of sinners like you and like me? Have you received God's free gift of eternal life secured forever by his death, by the death and resurrection of his Son? Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. When asked, What must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas responded, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. 
believe on him today and avail yourself of his salvation a salvation purchased with precious blood let's pray